From the Vox Media Podcast Network, you're listening to Rico Daily. I'm Peter Kafka. We're recording this on Election Day, which means we're seeing a swell of conspiracy theories on social media right now. But regardless of how the election pans out, we're pretty sure the conspiracy theories are here to stay and they're probably going to gain traction. And that poses a serious threat to our democracy. Joining me to discuss this uplifting topic is Recode senior reporter Shireen Ghaffari. Hi, Shireen. Hey, Peter. The last time you and I talked, we talked about QAnon, kind of pernicious conspiracy theory that's really taken root during the pandemic. What are some of the other conspiracy theories that we've seen rise up in the Trump era over the last four years? I think the most timely one is around voting, that the entire election is rigged, that mail-in ballots, which have been happening since the Civil War and really well, you know, there's been this idea perpetuated by Trump that actually mail-in ballot voting is a problem and that there's going to be widespread fraud. Uh, Other ones we've seen, I mean, COVID-19 hoaxes are rampant. I think something like uh, 30% of Americans now believe in some kind of conspiracy that COVID-19 is not uh, as serious as scientists say it is or that it was manufactured in a lab. So uh, they they run the gamut from health to the very foundations of our democracy. Sometimes you'll see this stuff described as conspiracy theory. Sometimes you'll see it described as misinformation. Is there a meaningful difference in the way those in, in between those two different terms? Yeah. So conspiracy theory is when you're actually ascribing intent when you, you're saying that there's a group of people who are secretively planning to plot uh, against me or against someone else. Whereas misinformation is just, you know, a claim that is false. So conspiracy theories aren't new. Donald Trump loves them. He's been engaging in them throughout his presidency, but they're not a new idea. Why does it feel like we're hearing more about them now than we have in the past? Yeah. So that's a really interesting question. And it's, you know, conspiracy theories are as old as time. I mean, if you go back to the ancient Greeks, there's records of conspiracy theories. And if you think about things like JFK's assassination, uh, at some point, 80% of Americans believed in some kind of conspiracy theory about JFK's assassination. So it's nothing new, but they feel more prevalent than ever for two big reasons. One is that because of social media, there is a big platform for these things. Uh, You know, gatekeepers of media traditionally like newspapers and TV stations, it can somewhat limit the spread of these things. Whereas in social media, there's less of that barrier. But a second more important reason that researchers I talked to cited is that there's this political mainstreaming of conspiracy theories, especially in the past four years during the Trump era. You know, you're having something like two dozen people running for Congress who have openly uh, been linked to QAnon, a wild and baseless, uh, almost cult-like conspiracy theory, right, that people are engaged in secret child sex trafficking cabals. So this is unprecedented to have people in real potential positions of power and people like President Trump himself also implicitly endorse something like QAnon and perpetuate and lead um, the front on this mail-in voting fraud conspiracy theory. That kind of stuff is, is really novel and new. QAnon is very scary. But the researchers you were talking to seem to be less worried about an individual conspiracy theory taking root than sort of the idea that social media was allowing this stuff to, to fester and sort of creating an echo chamber that's sort of ideally created for that. Can you can you tease that out for us? Yeah, I think with 
again, with with conspiracy theories in the old times, you know, maybe there's something out there and a lot of people, let's say, believe that that there is another kind of ploy to kill JFK. But there wasn't as much of a whole community day to day that you could be plugged into built around that. For something like QAnon, it can really take over people's lives. I mean, I've talked to sources who said at one point, one person who no longer believes in QAnon, but used to said he spent eight hours a day on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, um, just pouring over any new information, any breadcrumbs he could gather um, about, you know, trying to uncover the secret alleged cabal that QAnon espouses. So I think the ability for for people to be pushed into these echo chambers of extremism, basically, and be engaged in this community online that's reinforcing that, that's kind of the danger that people worry about with social media and conspiracy theories now. And that makes sense when you think about sort of how these social media platforms are built. They're built to, to grow. And they're also meant to engage you. There's all sorts of sort of tips and tricks that people use within those systems to sort of keep coming back, to keep giving you little dopamine hits. So, you know, it's one thing when you're looking at someone's dog photos, it's harmless. Uh, but if it's engaging you in QAnon conspiracy stuff, it's it's not harmless at all. What's the best way for social media companies and for all of us to to combat the spread of the stuff. There's a lot of differing opinions on that. And I think that one thing social media companies have done and try to get better at is trying to kind of front load facts. So about, let's say, mail-in voting, both Twitter and Facebook have notified people that, hey, mail-in voting in the U.S. is safe. It has a really strong track record. So that kind of front loading can really help sort of primes people to maybe think twice if they do come across a conspiracy theory. But really, the only other way is for these companies to start to drastically change the way they fundamentally operate, which is to limit what people can and can't say on their platform in almost real time. These companies kind of play whack-a-mole in trying to moderate sometimes the most extreme claims by the most high-profile people like Trump. But at the end of the day, they're never going to be able to police everything, even if they wanted to. Yeah, sadly, I agree with you. These things are not built to actually sort of limit uh, what people say. They're built to do the opposite. At the end of the day, even if a lot of people, more people than ever, believe in something like QAnon or COVID-19 being a hoax, what really matters is if it actually changes their actions. And we don't really know enough to say that definitively yet because there aren't the kinds of long-term studies you would want and we don't have the kind of data we would want from Facebook and Twitter to track how people's behavior changes over time. So all we have to rely on is just kind of anecdotal evidence. And, you know, we are seeing QAnon supporters infiltrating mainstream politics. We are seeing people having less faith in the voting process. And at the end of the day, I think researchers really want more proof that one thing is is causing the other here. Shireen, this is a grim topic, but an important one. Thank you for taking time to talk to me. Uh, You can read more of Shireen's work at Recode.net. Thanks, Peter. 